this is Matt Stevens from The Fierce and the Dead, and you're listening to Progzilla Radio. Welcome to episode number three of the Tabletop Genesis podcast. I am Mike Lord, and we are here discussing the album Genesis, also known as Mama, also known as Shapes. So what do you call it? Let us know. Today, we have uh, our regular crew now, again, commenting on this album. So let's introduce ourselves. Hi, my name's Simon. Goodbye. <laughs> Hi, my name is Elisa. Nice to meet you all. Tom Roche, back again. And it's Stacey Godfrey. Hello. We're talking about the album Genesis, released in 1983. It is the first self-titled album in Genesis's career. And Mr. Simon, would you like to read our trusty Wikipedia? Yes, certainly. Um, Genesis is the 12th studio album from the English rock band Genesis, released in October of 1983 on Charisma Records. The band decided on its title as each of the album's nine tracks were written as a group. The album cover depicts the shapes from a Shape-O children's toy made by Tupperware. Mike Rutherford referred to this album as his favourite Genesis album. Hmm. Genesis was a commercial success upon its release. The album reached number one in the UK and number nine in the US, where it sold over four million copies. Five singles were released uh, between 1983 and 1984, with Mama being the band's highest-charting single in the UK at number four. In 2007, Genesis was reissued with a new stereo and 5.1 surround mix as part of the band's box set. Yes, this was, I think, for for kids of my age in the US and probably a little bit younger, the Mama Tour video in probably 85 or so was played to death on MTV. I watched it every time it came on and probably videotaped it also off the TV. And it was one of those things that I would just obsessively kind of watch and rewatch to really kind of get into the intricacies of this band. Hell I think, yeah, yeah. I think Stacy had a similar experience. Yeah, I, that actually the the Mama Tour video was my first encounter with Genesis. Although at the time I didn't really know it was Genesis. Um, so when how old were you then? Uh, I was probably seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was seven years old. So what happened? Seven or eight at this point, probably eight. Um, you know, so long ago, I can't really remember. But three years. I mean, yeah, I know it just flies. So um, I got into No Jacket Required, one of Phil's solo albums, when it came out, and that was I just fell in love with it. I loved. I made my mom and dad play it all the time, and I just fell in love with Phil Collins. And around this time a video store opened up in our neighborhood and my on Friday nights, my mom would take my sister Sue and myself to the video store and we could pick one VHS cassette each to watch um, just to keep us quiet, I guess, for the evening. And my sister would go and pick out some Care Bears nonsense or <laughs> Disney video. 
And I remember walking through one time and I saw the the Mama Tour cassette and I saw Phil Collins on the cover. And I was like, oh, there's Phil Collins. I know him. And I would rent it. Fell in love with it. That was my regular rent every Friday for quite a while. I can uh, I remember. I should ask my mom actually. Uh, yes, she has you a memory were seven. of this. I was seven. That's pretty precocious watching. Yeah. Isn't it? I was obsessed Amazing. with music. Um, my I have I remember when I was very young, like younger than even that. When I when my mom wanted some alone time or she had to do something, she would just sit me in the living room with the radio on, and I would just sit there and listen. So she could go in the kitchen, she'd go take a shower, she could like. And so the the radio was my babysitter, and I remember hearing that's all, and I used to call it the black and white song, and um, I remember asking my mom once, and I didn't understand what how radio worked. I was just asking, I was like, Mom, can you make them play the black and white song for me? <laughs> Again, not not knowing it was Genesis, I just heard Phil Collins. I thought it was a Phil Collins sure. song. I thought you know it was it was Phil, and I you know so you imagine my surprise years later getting this album. Um, after I got Invisible Touch for my ninth birthday present. Um, <laughs> and hearing the black, I saw, you know, looking at the tracks. I could read at this point, so I'm very <laughs> proud of myself. I was reading through the tracks. I'm like, okay, yeah, I, don't, I didn't recognize Adam. But when that's all started, I was like, the black and white song. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. amazing. So, yeah, Genesis, I mean, has always been a part of my life, whether I knew it or not, right. I guess. Yeah, I think it was for me, you know, seeing, you know, the That's All in the Mama videos on MTV a lot. That that was yeah. probably my first real awareness, really, the That's All video of, oh, there's this band called Genesis, and it's separate from Phil Collins. Right. Uh, because I think Phil was well-known enough there within the air tonight and maybe a couple other things that, like, I kind of became aware of both of them at the same time when mm -hmm. I was, you know, 12, 13, that age. Yeah, me too. Like, growing up in Argentina, mm -hmm. again, all the music video, you know, shows on TV, uh, they would show, you know, Mama Tour, you mm -hmm. know, uh, parts, you know, songs. Like, uh, and so, yeah, and then they would rent the videos, the VHS as yeah. well. Not every Friday, though, but, <laughs> but quite, quite often. You were just dedicated. I'd go to my, to my auntie's place that they have a video. Yeah. And, so I would rent that, and Three Sides Live, too. Yeah. And I loved it. And again, I fell in love with Phil Collins, you mm -hmm. know. And, so it was it was lovely. I was like, oh, this, I need to get this 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 cassette. <laughs> well, uh, we grew up in the sticks, our family, so we didn't have MTV like every other oh. house had. In the, yeah, in I the didn't country. either. So I was much older. For some reason, we didn't have cable at all. So everyone was talking about MTV and on new videos, and it went right over our heads. But I do remember. I think that's all was probably the first Genesis song I have memory of hearing and being aware of. Sure. And I was it was just part of that the radio at the time right. i didn't think anything of it i like the song i probably recorded it off the radio with a whole <laughs> bunch of other stuff total clips of the heart whatever was around <laughs> that time. and so then you know once i got into visible touch and went there it was the first album i went back mm -hmm. after invisible touch and got and you know i should still have the cassette from columbia house records and tapes <laughs> where you, would, you could just rattle it so there it is. Oh, <laughs> it's a beautiful site. Where you would pay, it was a thing in America yeah. where you could pay $13 and get one album, and then the, you could get like 10 more for a penny each. Yeah. So I got this, and and then from there I was hooked. Started exploring their catalog backward. Yeah, so it seems like for, for those around this table, this was the album that, the album or the time that really mm -hmm. 
you know, hooked people in in different ways. So close to this. If it was maybe Invisible Touch for Stacy, I think it might have been the yeah. first Genesis one, but this was pretty close on there. Yeah. It was the one that you realized there was more to the iceberg than just was above the surface. Right, mm-hmm. right, because there was a deeper level there. So with that, um, shall we go into Mama? No. Let's go to Papa. So, yeah. let's, <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Mama. I think what happened, I think for people who started with Invisible Touch, like Stacey and I, mm-hmm. and anyone here who, like, you heard the radio hits, and that was great, and you bought the album, you liked it, you said, okay, let me go back one, see what they did. Right. And you put this on, and those first few beats of Mama, when it's got that boom, boom, you're like, this is different than anything that I hear on the radio today. Right. Mm-hmm. I want to hear more, and so you keep listening to it, and then by the, the atmosphere, you know, with that drum beat, uh... And all of a sudden, then it's got that that crescendo of a keyboard chord, which gets louder and louder, and then it finally, right. Tony coming in, like it was it was like nothing you've heard before. Mm-hmm. So it, that really sunk its like teeth into me. My my feeling about it is, is that this track is probably one of the darkest things that they'd ever recorded. Sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm trying to track back to see. Oh, we're probably talking, you know, something off maybe a Watcher of the Skies or uh, or, or even sort of like uh, something off the Lamb, but, but, but sort of like Menace. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a scary song. It's, we're all scared right I know. Now. <laughs> <laughs> we're all a little hesitant to talk about this song. Yeah, it's, it's, it's violent. I mean, I right. remember getting some chills and Phil is just singing his heart out and I'm like... Oh, Mama, it's getting serious. Phil right. is <laughs> screaming at you. I think we were getting to the, into the uh, into the age of, of of the screamy Phil. Yeah, you know, yeah. up until this point, I think Phil had had largely, I won't say treading in the footsteps of Gabriel, but he was mm-hmm. at this point he'd had um, was it two solo albums out at this uh, point? Yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, he was finding his way as a solo artist. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that uh, that Phil brought to the band in the 80s was that voice, was that moment of that scream. Now, I wouldn't say it's a primal scream, but it, he could really hit yeah. that. And unfortunately, it did for his vocals by the end of the decade. Right. But mm-hmm. I think it, it's um, it's a chilling moment, especially when, when he hits the sort of, I mean, sorry, this is going to sound very nerdy, musical thing but he hits the major chord mm-hmm. with his voice to complete the complete the chord to, to give it that sort of you feel the change when he goes oh sure yeah. and uh that's an amazing moment in you know mm-hmm. for me and i don't think really 
Genesis ever recorded anything quite like it before or since. Sure. Yeah, it's a very unique song. And Genesis had had this talent, and I think Phil, especially in his solo career, of knowing how to use these drum machines. Yeah. Of that were fairly common at the time, but they really used them as unique musical instruments themselves. I mean, things we taught uh, in Abacab previously, this album specifically with with the Mama riff, uh, Mama drum beat, which is really something Mike Rutherford put into the drum machine. It wasn't something Phil did, but it was something that, that was an, an atmosphere that they were able to use that a lot, that I can't think of any other major band that used it as, either no. as much or as well I as totally they agree, did. yeah. And they, they integrated it so well with the acoustic drums. Like, I, the, one of my favorite parts of the song is when that transition mm-hmm. uh, from the, the drum machine to yeah. Phil actually drumming. Because it, it really had been works. withheld for that long. Yeah. And when it finally comes in, you're like, oh, there it is. Yeah. There's the drum. Yeah, it's a quite a long song for a single. I right. mean, what was it like six or seven minutes? Yeah. So, yeah. Can I just make mention of something as well, which is um, this was one of the very first albums. And I, I read this a, a couple of days ago on, I think it was Wikipedia, which is, is this is the very first album which I think they totally collaborated yes. on. Yes. With I think Abacab, they still brought one solo yeah. track each. Right. This one, yeah. yeah this but, was all starting from scratch with nothing. But this is the very first album that they had done, I think, since The Lamb, where there was no excess tracks. Correct. There were no... Like, on the singles for this period, it's all either live tracks or even, I think, things from the past. But mainly, there were they didn't have any bonus songs on this album, which was, which was fixed in spades for the coming albums after this mm-hmm. but for this one because it was the first one where they were writing from scratch right. i guess they felt they they did their album and said okay this is it i think that was part of the recording process too is they they, they got everything they wanted out and they said okay it's good let's not mess with it anymore let's not try to write extra stuff to put on which is how they came up with mama because they said that they recorded it and set the final one pretty much early they didn't mm-hmm. spend a lot of time they got the sound of it, and they right. said, okay, that's good. Instead of trying to like rework it and right. think about it next week later, like they just they record it, and what's on the album yeah. is pretty much one of the early yeah. takes right. that they demoed. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. And that was the joy for them in interviews that they talked about of having their own studio where they didn't have the pressure of, oh, we're on the clock, we've got to keep going, or we've got to finish this in a certain period of time. It was more just the kind of joy of being able to do everything in the moment. If you watch the, I think on the Mama reissue DVD, Mama tour video DVD, there's kind of a making of this album. And the very first song they finished is actually, I'll jump ahead, is the last track on the album. It's going to get better. But then, you know, Mama was probably pretty shortly after that that they did it and they were done with it. And there's a great in works in progress version on the Archive 2 box. Well, I wouldn't say great. That's not great. <laughs> but I, I, see, but I love those type of things, being able to see how things came out. It was interesting, yeah, for the first five seconds, first one time. One time. All right, I, <laughs> but I never go back to that. Oh, see, never I, play that part again. See, I, I'm, I, see, that's the type of thing, again, you know, I don't listen to it in place of the actual song, but if it comes up as random play when I'm playing things off of my computer, I certainly wouldn't fast forward through it. 
because it, it does. It, I'd love to have kind of the demo album for each of those for that, for Invisible Touch and for, you know, We Can't Dance, Calling All Stations to kind of see kind of how these songs developed. I think that's great. I think that's neat. But I, but I also know that's not for everybody. At the last show, Mike was shouting, Mama, work in progress. Play Mama, work in progress. <laughs> that's right. I just want to hear Phil mumble. Yeah. But it, it's a very unique sound. But in, in another sense, it's not a unique sound because a few years earlier, Phil had done a song with atmosphere leading up three quarters of the song. Then he comes in with the drums in the, in the air tonight. Yes. So I, the style seems very reminiscent, and I have my own theory, which is widely held by Tom Roche. Right. <laughs> is that the story is is that Phil with the Duke sessions came to Mike and Tony with a bunch of songs, including In the Air Tonight. Yes. He swears he played it for Tony and Mike. Tony says he didn't play it for us. And Mike can't remember. And Mike can't remember. Right. So right. my feeling is that he might have played it for him, and Tony at later kicking himself for having rejected it for a Genesis song, said, okay, well, Phil had a hit with that. Let's do kind of a version of our own that follows that style, and we'll do a song that has atmosphere building up, and then the drums coming at the end, and that's where Mama came from. So okay. that's my theory. There you go. Tom it was Rose Tony Banks on the grassy knoll <laughs> with, the, with the drum beat. That's right. Interesting. Well, hey, you know, we have, that could be a theory, you know, mm-hmm. you never know. Next, we'll talk about That's All. favorite songs on the album i know it was the big hit in the u.s for it and which is a huge hit over here yeah, yeah it was it was bigger than mama it was oh, the wow. hit. Yeah. It, yeah. it was the hit from this album in the u.s it might have been top 10 we couldn't right. handle mom over here yeah, yeah. yeah. Mama's yeah. Too for us. yeah. 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 <laughs> it scared too many people six, six so. minute song about prostitute yeah. <laughs> or whatever it was about who yeah. knows so yeah that's all like i like the sound of it but it just sounds a little too empty for me like, the piano doesn't sound enough like a piano to me. It sounds a little bit kind of stilted in some ways. Over time, it just hasn't worked for me. Right. Mm-hmm. I, You know, as what I was saying earlier, you know, the, the, my whole black and white story and, yeah. you know, how much I loved it when yeah. I was so young. And I think I've heard it so many times now. It's kind of dulled in my ears. Right. Um, I have the same feeling about Salisbury Hill. Like, if I hear it on the radio or it shuffles on my iPod, these are two songs where I'm like, uh, I, there's some other songs I, I could spend my, in my life. Yeah, I could spend some time with that, right. you know, I haven't as the, as this one. So, yeah, for I, I just think I've heard it so many times, right? You know, I was listening to it this past week to get ready for the show, and mm-hmm. I was just, like, trying to, like, find something new in it, which I usually can do in a Genesis song. Um, 
I still continually find new things in their music. Sure. That's why I love it so much. But for this track, not not so much. Yeah. So I'm with you on this, Mike. Well, I think in a way, I, I think it's as a song, it's very well written. It's got lyrics you can sing along to, and it's got a beat they can sing right. along to. It's got a very country slash that piano. Dun, 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 dun. It almost sounds very like Native American dance, yeah. like the tribe is tribal mm-hmm. kind of song. And uh, one thing which I've noticed, and people people call this, which I just kind of realized over the past week and week or so listening to this album, is that people call it the Genesis album or Shapes or mm-hmm. the Mama album. I have nicknamed it now uh, the Piano album. Okay. Because except for Mama and Home by the Sea, every other song features piano prominently or very significantly in a portion of that song hmm. if you listen to every other song except for mama uh that's all illegal alien taking it all too hard just a job to do silver rainbow and it's going to get better all feature piano in a big way well interesting See, I've, enough, stunned, I've stunned the crowd yeah, i've stunned well, the yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, i'm going through them trying to think <laughs> yeah. about okay and yeah. when you just when you think oh, oh I, right, I listen to that song i don't see it when you get to the party, oh yeah, there's a little bit yeah, of piano. Right? There's, there's, a, there's, there's yeah. an interesting thing about that piano sound as well, and uh, I'm going to sound nerdy again, nerdy musician, but the piano in question is what's known as a Yamaha CP80. It's, mm-hmm. it's the very first, um, what that. they were calling the, the touring piano, mm-hmm. uh, and it was the one that a lot of bands were using. I mean, Elton John used it, uh, Joe Jackson used it, uh, Howard Jones mm-hmm. used it, um, and it's... The thing that makes me uh, smile about that is that it's the Genesis sound, and mm-hmm. it's it goes across. Peter Gabriel was using it. You yeah. only have to listen to sort of like Red Rain, and right. uh, and you you'll hear it there. Um, Phil Collins is a, is a he's a classic sort of CP eighty uh, mm-hmm. user, and so as a result, I always associate that sound with Genesis and all of the various offshoots of Genesis, the solo projects as well. Yeah, and I wonder if that's because they were writing the entire album together and jamming together to write. And so that's what he was, that's the instrument he was using to write with. And it just right. kind of stuck on the final album. He sure. wasn't exploring, you know, any other synth sounds or anything right. like that. But that's an, that's an interesting observation. Well, thank you. Thomas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for me, okay, it's just, like, I like the song. It's a simple song. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a perfect, you know, the rhythm, it's nice. It's, but it doesn't have a lot of substance, a yeah. lot of content. I wonder why it was such a hit then. Well, <laughs> well it was the United States of America. Right? It, like, not a lot of substance, you know. And it, and it's, we, we it's, it's like our country and western, country western music. Well, it, it fit the pop, it fit the pop formula at the time. Yeah. Um, and, you know. and I will say, you know, I, I I started off talking not terribly positively about the song. I still I still think it's a fine song. Yeah. I, I think we've all said. And I think also on its plus side, there's a cool little keyboard solo in the middle of it that's, yeah. you know, just, you know, perfect for the song. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, when I was listening to it, trying to kind of think about this a bit more, I was like, yeah, that's that's a great little solo that Tony came up with for that. It's perfect for the song. It's this not, it's an organ sound. It's not quite an organ sound. It's, it's a little bit more interesting than just a Hammond or something like that. And I go, oh, yeah, that, that works for me. And I think that... I even heard a little bit of it between in one of the first or second verse that I was like, oh, I, I never noticed that before. Mm-hmm. Still not enough to yeah. kind of push it over the like top for fire. me and to say, wow, I wish they played this in 2007. Uh, I have not missed hearing this song live. 
How, how, how are they? I've never seen this, this live? song live. I think I it sounds kind of empty live. Yeah. There, yeah, it's more of a studio thing. There's a guitar solo at the end of it. The kind of it's not one of Mike's finer moments on guitar. I don't think it's not bad, but it just doesn't do anything for me. It peters out. A lot of the songs from this I readily associate with the Mama Tour video. Yeah. Sure. And I always, whenever I hear this song in my head, I'm just remembering Phil and Mike hopping feet <laughs> right. oh, one right. foot to the other sure. as, as, as Mike is yeah. doing the, the solo yeah. and he's trying to put him off by blowing on his hand yeah. <laughs> you know, as he's playing right I was always surprised that it was never like legitimately covered by a country group like yeah. Garth Brooks covered Shameless by Billy Joel and made it a big hit of his own like it's, it's got such a country feel to it that it, yeah. I, I looked it up this past week to, to see like somebody must have covered it as a country singer you know as, mm-hmm. as a hit and I didn't find anything I did see on YouTube, if you look up The Novelists, I've never heard of them, a group called The Novelists, and that's all. They do a pretty good country version of it, so maybe okay. we'll, we'll put the link up on uh, tabletopgenesis.com. Yeah, <laughs> we can push them over the edge now, yeah. so we'll get them the publicity they need. I think that's all, and that's all. I think yeah. that is. So next up would be Home by the Sea and Second Home by the Sea. these as one piece because I think that you know except for on this album I always think of them as one Me too. one piece of music I didn't know they were two songs and <laughs> I, like... it's funny because I consider them two songs like really really oh. and then second home by the sea and I love Genesis instrumentals in general Me too. So, uh, sometimes if I if I get the CD and I want to listen to one song maybe I'll just go to second home by the sea right, right. right. Instrumentals. I think I, the first time I do remember hearing this song when it went through the instru- instrumental part and at the end when they started singing images of sorrow, pictures of light, I'm like, wait, they sang that before. Is this the same song? Like I was yeah. so clueless that it would take all this time to play an instrumental part and then keep the song going. Wait, they're reprising something? I, I don't get it. This is frightening <laughs> this is and confusing. <laughs> and I kind of like it. <laughs> I, feel, I feel kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah, this is, again, you know, probably the centerpiece of the album, you know, yeah. if you consider it one big song. When I've done some editing, audio editing of different bootleg things, I make them one song. I don't have Second Home by the Sea separate, so sorry, Allie. But, I forgive you. Yes. But we, can, we can certainly <laughs> listen to those instrumentals because it's a great instrumental. It's mm-hmm. a great lyric. Uh, on that Mama Making of Genesis video, there's actually a good section of Tony singing the lyrics to Phil, showing him kind of oh, how okay. to sing it as like a guide vocal. Oh, right. And it's a great moment because it's Tony singing the words that he wrote. Yeah. And and Phil's sitting there listening and, you know, kind of going, okay. And then when you kind of hear in Tony what Phil will be doing, which right. I think is really cool. As is often the way when we, we talk about albums... 
I revisit an album before we do the show right. just to listen to it again. This time round, I just fell in love with this song. Yeah. And I would now rate this probably in my top five, Home by the Sea and second Home by the mm-hmm. Sea. And for me, it's the melody. Mm-hmm. It's the... That just hooked itself into my head and I just can't... And of course, it's got the classic moment of... Phil Collins doing his Cockney photos in a frame <laughs> moment as well. Yes. Um, but it's also, again, it go back to the live where he, he calls it a ghost story and yeah. he, he gets people to sort of like do the, uh, yeah, what, what do they call it? He was trying to get in touch with the other world. <laughs> yes, better <laughs> <laughs> it's, i but hope so it, at the end of the album it does so. and i like this period because it, it was the 80s it was, it was like early mid 80s you know you got cindy lopper coming out and, and you know purple rain and all this stuff and people were like going for the mtv generation the videos were just starting to get big and yet they're still doing an 11 minute song about a haunted house right. and they didn't care they're like we're doing this we like this we're, right. we're, mm-hmm. we're writing this who cares Yep. My favorite lyric probably on the album is the third verse. Images of sorrow, pictures of delight, things that go to make up a life. I think it's it's one of those things that it really works for me. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, it's, it's, it's elegant proof that for, for all of the, the nerdiness that we ascribe to Tony Banks, he can pull a good lyric out of his yes, hat if he wants to. He can. <laughs> one of my friends, actually, a friend of mine who is who knows Genesis at a distance... Uh, when I was talking about this song with him at one point, he said, well, that was a Gabriel song. I said, no, that's from <laughs> the Mama album in 83. And he was shocked. He thought it was a Gabriel-era song. Interesting. Mm, yeah, wow. which I which I was kind of like, really? Again, be, knowing all this, I thought that was crazy. But then thinking about it, I, I thought, you know, I could see how people would think that. Again, Genesis from a distance, it's a type of song that harkened back Maybe not as much in the music, but maybe more in the lyrics, just to have that kind of older feel to mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Again, they're still in their early 30s at this point, so they're not that old. But it's, right. you know, in their career, it kind of does harken back to that first five years, the 71, 75 mm-hmm. time frame. I can see that. I, yeah. I can definitely see that. Certainly thematically and stylistically. It's also the, the beginning of Phil's extensive use of Simmons drums yes as well electronic drums and uh, I remember him talking about in, in an interview he said there were things you can do with a Simmons drum which you can't do with a regular drum because it's because the playing surface right. and he was able to do these little rolls and these trills but in, exactly, <laughs> in doing so but in doing so he said it was the start of his it, it damaged his wrists. Right. You know, it was, it, it, these things were hard to play on. Right. And I'm not entirely sure exactly how much damage they call long-term, but of course, we all know that he had real problems later on. I'm not entirely sure if it was tendonitis or right. because of this, but um, he did mention that they were hard surfaces to play on. Right. So with the instrumental being kind of your, you know, think of it as a separate song, Ellie, what, what is it about this instrumental that grabs you? The music? <laughs> That's handy. In an instrumental, that helps usually. So. I don't know, it reminds me at some point of Los Endos where there's instrumental and then Phil singing at the end. I find what? these instrumentals very singable in some ways. The the melody that Tony yeah. starts out playing, na 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 na. It's easy to kind of think that there could be words there. Right. But the the melody is taken by, in this, this case, the keyboard, 
it's it's a real song. It's not just you know wanking away on on an, on an instrumental on a guitar. Or something. You know, it's funny you say that because I always think of Second Home by the Sea as like their jam band song. Sure. Like, it's kind of their, I mean, as much as Genesis could ever be a jam band. But, um, yeah, I love it, too. I'm that's, with how they wrote, that's how they wrote it. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. love, I love their instrumentals. I just love instrumental music in general. It, it, you can tell me, you can introduce me to a new prog band and go, they're completely instrumental. I will listen to them no matter what. <laughs> But if, you know, if they're not, I'm kind of like, all right, you got to tell me more before I put this in my <laughs> CD player. But yeah, I, I love the whole song. Um, but I, like Ellie, I'm a bigger fan of like the yeah. second Home by the Sea, definitely. Um, I think it's it's just, it's got the big chords, the big walls of sound. I would love to hear a band like Particle cover this. I think that would be phenomenal. They're um, more of an instrumental jam band located on the West Coast, oh, okay. um, who I've seen before. It's great. It is, as we said, it's a centerpiece of the album. No matter how much they change, they still stay the same. And right. it's apparent in this song. It's one of my probably top 10, if not top yeah. five. And for as great as the song is, and I know when they did it on the album they, and for the for live that tour, and I think also for the Invisible Touch tour, he was using the electronic drums. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he'd give it nine or 10, you know, in terms of how awesome it was. But once he switched for the Weekend Dance Tour and the 2007 Tour to the real drums for it, that, I think, kicked it up to 11. Interesting. I mean, I, I will take those versions over the electronic drums I'll any have to have a listen, another listen it, to those. And then they do this one thing right towards the end of the instrumental. They pause for a second mm. and then come back and then slam him and Chester. And it's just this moment of silence, which is just awesome. I, I got to take a moment. It's so <laughs> <laughs> But, like, just live, it's just... Fantastic, and and, the, and some people say, well, they did it on the Genesis tour, they did it on Invisible Touch tour. Some people say, it. I say it. You, I, mean, my, I think Mike. When I yeah. say they, I mean Mike yeah. Lord. <laughs> they did it on the We Can't Dance tour. They did it on the 2007 tour. Four tours in a row. They can probably retire that. I could probably be okay with them playing it every tour. Yeah, I think it says an awful on. lot about how they feel about the song, right. yeah. and the fact that it figured so prominently in all right. of those mm -hmm. sets. I agree that I I am always happy to hear it when I hear it live, mm -hmm. but I think had I not heard it in two thousand seven, I don't know if I would have missed it. Mm -hmm. It probably depends upon what maybe would have been played in its space, because again, that's a big chunk of time to have another song or two in there. But I think that, for me, I, I'd seen it on the Invisible Touch tour. I'd seen it on We Can't Dance. I would have seen it on Calling All Stations had that come over to the United States. I didn't need to see it on to, in 2007. Okay. I think everybody's entitled to their wrong opinions. <laughs> <laughs> fine, fine. So let's move on to Illegal Alien. start talking about the track uh, i have a question for simon yes so can you explain to us what it was like 
to live in England in 1983 with that mass immigration of Mexicans. Yes, precisely. That were coming right, over yeah. the border into the UK I, I think, at the time that inspired Phil to write this. I think, in all, in all honesty, sort of like it's this is a lot of people say sort of it's borderline racist, but I'll be really I'll be really honest with you. It's not borderline racist. It's just flat out naive. <laughs> I think that's what it really comes down to. I and, think so. Yeah. And I, I think it, it just comes down to the fact that I know that it was it was done as a joke. Mm-hmm. I know that there was a lot of humour in, in, involved yeah. involved in it. People maybe weren't necessarily as knowledgeable about things like this back in in those days. I don't know. I can't I can't speak for those guys. All I know is, is it's it's an incredibly catchy number. Oh god, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a fantastic song. It's just, right. I was just joking around yeah. about the, the subject. Right. I'm like, it's an English band singing about yeah. <laughs> Mexicans crossing the border, and I was right. like, okay. I mean, well, I think this is this is one of those lyrics that, for the most part, looking at it, if you just read these lyrics, you're like, this is actually a pretty good song, a pretty good set of lyrics. But I think the way that they're sung... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's call it an it, accent. <laughs> it turns it into a comedy number that's not quite... Especially in this time frame. It wasn't pleasant you know. to be part of the comedy. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I think, I think that it's... Like, if, if you look... I mean, imagine with different music, this lyrics, I got a cousin and she's got a friend who thought that her aunt knew a man who could help. At his apartment, I knocked on the door. He wouldn't come out until he got paid. Dun, dun, dun! dun. <laughs> I mean, again, with, imagine if this, if these lyrics were done in a Peter Gabriel-esque style. Interesting, yeah. People yeah. would think, yeah. oh my God, this is such a telling look at you know immigration in the United States. In the yeah. sort of thing. Right. Yeah. It's, it's all in how it's done. And because it's done in this arrangement with, ah, hey, we're having a good time, yeah. it turns into, again, you know, down the road, ugh, this is kind, <laughs> of, kind of rough. But at the same point, I like you said, catchy, I, listening to it this week, I found myself singing it to myself again because yeah. it is a good song yeah. with questionable <laughs> lyrics yeah. that yeah. make me cringe, but also that I kind of hum along to and... Have a little bit of a if good you time, can, yeah, so. ignore the lyrics and Phil's uh, vocal stylings. We'll call it um, in this track. I, it, musically, it's it's a great, great bit right. of songwriting. The arrangement's yeah. fantastic. Mike's cool Mike bass, yeah, yeah really everything. Cool. A lot of cool stuff. And I'll tell you, if you don't, if you don't believe me, what changed my mind about this song was listening to the Genesis Archive Two version. It was a live version oh, from the yeah. LA Forum in yeah. 1984. It just kicks ass. Um, you know, yeah, Mike's bass in this is, yeah. is fantastic. His guitar work is great. Yeah, yeah so it's well, great. Of all, of all the Genesis songs that you say, well, I'd like to be a fly on the wall while they're running that one. <laughs> this is one you wouldn't think you'd want to be there, but I'd want to be there to where the, the decision was to say, all right, Phil, you're going to sing this in a broken Mexican-Spanish <laughs> accent, yeah. and people are going to love it. Yeah. 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 Again, it comes down to the fact that sort of times change. And then right. You, you look back, and I mean, you only have to look at sort of like, like the Benny Hill, and even sort of like looking at some Monty Python stuff, yeah. it's, it's racist, you know? And you'd, mm-hmm. But you just think to yourself, you look back and go, what were you thinking? Of course, it was they the weren't. Time. It was the time in which it was yeah. done. Being from South America, yeah, at the yeah. time, did you... <laughs> no, I mean, we, I don't think we paid a lot of attention to the, to the lyrics, right. or the video was, again, fun and quirky yeah. and all that. I remember when I bought the cassette, like, they really would play the song, instead of from the... 
Yeah. They would go straight to the to the yeah. to the right. song. So I didn't know it had that few those few seconds yeah. of oh, okay. sounds. So when I got the cassette and I go to the B side, I started to listen and I was like, Oh, I think the cassette is faulty because the sounds <laughs> so I went to the record store with the cassette and said, Oh, I think this cassette is faulty because on the B side and the song and the guy looks at me and says well, that's how the song goes. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, was, I was still getting to know the band. I was totally curious for sure. the most part. So, but, yeah. Now, Ellie also has a book, which is, oh, uh, yeah. which is has the, the language. In the, It's a book of translations of Genesis lyrics into Spanish. So, Illegal Alien is one of these translations, which is just kind of amusing that, you know, this, this song <laughs> that is not, not exactly the most... Uh... No, but it didn't have any connotations of, you know... Sure. Uh, I yeah. mean, for us, it was a fun song, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they must have finished it at, like, 4.50 on a Friday afternoon, and Hugh Padgett was just like, ah, oh, fuck it, that's good. It will never be a single. Yeah, <laughs> no one's going to listen to this. <laughs> all right. So, taking it all too hard... of lyrics on the album i would agree with that i think it's actually to me the feel of this song again it does not that it feels like old genesis but it just has this feel of you know this melancholy and i use the word wistfulness a lot just in my common <laughs> daily life but i think that it's it has this feel to it that works for me and i think the the lyrics here tell a very simple story of emotion mm-hmm. which Genesis hadn't done in the past necessarily all the time. Right. And I think this was, again, you know, another entry into that world of we can talk about emotion in these songs without it necessarily having to be couched in giant hot weeds. <laughs> <laughs> it strikes me as a kind of like a Rutherford Collins kind of feel because it's got that taking it all too hard, throwing it all away. That same kind of where it was like in too deep. It reminded me. Yeah, it was kind of like that kind of a better version of in too deep. Um, We'll get to that conversation later. Right. (laughs) For me, I tend to abhor mawkishness in a a track, and I I just think this this track is laden with it. And um, (laughs) but and here's here's my big but. Um, well, it's, it's a um, nice big bite. Yeah, it's exactly. Okay. Um, the thing that, that really hit home to me this time round was it's a much more coherent song than I remembered it being. Right. And it almost reminded me in places of Many Too Many. Sure, mm. I can see that. Well, because it's piano-driven. Of course. Right. And <laughs> My theory. You know, the, thing that, that the only thing that really brings this song down for me, because for a long time I didn't like this song. I thought it was too mawkish, too kind of sentimental, and didn't really have the what it needed is that I think the the chorus, which it actually starts out with, just doesn't it doesn't do much for me. It has great verses and the chorus kinda lets me down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and yeah. I think that if the chorus had been I don't know if it if the lyrics were different or if the if the music would have been slightly different for it, if that would have made it work better for me. That that line in the verse, old days have gone, but they're better left alone. 
Just that melody line, that line where it's is, a little chord change. Or oh something. my god, that's yeah, the most yeah. for me. That's the most beautiful yeah. bit on the album, the entire album. It's beautiful. I love it. Yeah. I don't know. It tickles my ovaries. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we get back into the lady balls. Here. Yeah, you know. I as a, I don't know. When I was a little girl, like I was like, oh, you know, it's such a pretty song. But it really, it's it's a yeah. kind of it's it is a sad song. It's very melancholy and a lot of Genesis you know. lyrics, especially in the '80s. I think people can take them on the surface in one way, right? And then when you look at them a bit deeper like a song like Invisible Touch, it yeah. sounds like a happy song, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, no, it's not. No. <laughs> and and I think this is one of those songs that, you know, kind of, to me on the surface, it sounds kind of that weepy, mawkishness type of thing, but when you really look at it, you're like, there's some real feeling here mm-hmm. for me. You know, and again, your miles yeah. may vary with that. No, for me it's the same thing. Sometimes I, I like it, and I think it's wonderful, a great mm-hmm. song, the lyrics as well. And some of the times I'm like, "Ah, let's skip it and go to the next song. Yeah. Just a job to do. my favorite track on the entire album excellent when i get an album my favorite songs change all the time so maybe mm-hmm. a song that was my favorite you know five weeks ago five years ago ten years ago um is now different but for for some reason on this album i've always loved just the job to do it sounds so 80s which mm-hmm. i love <laughs> so awesome i love the bass line the yeah. guitar but the chorus is is great again another like great rutherford moment yeah. on the album um phil scream doing the 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 iconic 80s scream vocal bang 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 <laughs> down you go oh i love it yeah. i could yeah i could listen to this all day yeah. twice on sunday <laughs> I, I think that this song actually has an awful lot of uh, of of similarity with uh, uh, one, a track on an album that was come after, which is anything she does. Sure, okay. And I, I get that very. It just, there's the same kind of yeah. lilt, the same kind of sonic quality to it's it. The fast song on yeah. the album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to piss off my friend Rob, who doesn't believe that horns and Genesis mix at all. They should stay on Phil Collins albums. But as much as I love the song, I think it would be better if horns were used on this song. Tony uses his faux horns. If there were horns, real horns at that point, and all throughout it at different points, the yeah. song would be like taken to the next level mm. that it is right now. Like if you listen to that, if you listen to the song, and there are certain parts that come up, that you're like, okay, horns could go there, horns could go there, oh, sure. and the song would just like come alive. I could see that. Yeah, because the little it's okay, but like when you think those could be real horns, yeah, you're like, oh, that's such a cop out. But I think at this point they're like horns in the background of the verse, like I got a name, even building up. Yeah, yeah, kind of going through the background there. It would be not not so like great. in your face. It'd make it right, less 80s sounding, yeah. though. 
Less, <laughs> really? With horns like that? Well, I don't know. Maybe, right. We need, need a, a sad saxophone. Maybe. <laughs> 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 no saxophone, but something else. Yeah. I think after, uh, Phil probably might have suggested that, but I don't think Tony or Mike would have been up for it because they figured yeah. after the they did it. Album. Phil's done it on his, both his solo albums. Yeah. We're done with the horns. Yeah. We've done it. It sounds too like, much like Phil yeah, Collins now. Yeah. At this point, it's so it's, associated yeah, with him yeah. that they Although were like... Although this song certainly doesn't sound like a Phil Collins song. No, 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 so no. But it's just yeah. the horns, I Maybe think. Maybe that's why they wouldn't... They didn't right. do it. Perhaps, that's my other perhaps theory. Perhaps the way forward would have been bagpipes. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. The, um, I think that I love this song. I think the the middle eight, the kind of piano the part. Piano part. Yeah. There you go. It's, I, think that, <laughs> I think that lets it down a little bit because to me it's, it's too much of a break from the rest of the song. You've kind of been going at this pace and then you're getting still into a fast-paced part right. of the song, but it just it breaks it too much from the, from the verse chorus. And again, we're talking about a progressive band. We should be okay with that, but I think right. in the context of this type of song it's it's like hitting a break to me right i i like it i think it's a great song i don't know if it's my favorite on the album actually i do know it's not my favorite (laughs) this second side of this album genesis does not get a lot of love necessarily yeah uh from the band or even from fans and i think that it's easy to uh overlook that there are some really good songs on here i think sometimes illegal alien and taking it all too hard kind of made people go oh see by two is not that great when it really is a solid, solid mm-hmm. side of an album. I'd like to ask actually to the rest of you guys, and possibly to the uh, listener. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> uh, Hi, mom. <laughs> out there, which is, I think this is the first album that Tony Banks employed samplers on. Yeah, I would think so. I believe so. Yeah. I think it is. I remember that documentary that was on the five point one box. I think they yeah. talked about that. That that was yeah. the um. What was I can't remember now. What the Sinclavier? Something. It was like like that. Or yeah. or, Sinclavier. Or, the, the only two samples that were really any good at that point right. was the Fairlight and the Sinclavier. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think it was, and he yeah. used that in um, "It's Gonna Get Better." Right. That's like the big moment the with the reverse thing. Yeah, yeah. So. Silver Rainbow. Okay, so we're getting a yes from Simon, a yes from Ellie, a no from Stacy. Big yes from Tom. I would say big yes from me, but I would it's I think it's too one note throughout the entire song. I think I like love the drive of it. Asterisk, I do yes. put it in mind, yes. Yeah. 
I love the drive of it. I think it's fantastic. I think the lyrics are fun. <laughs> Although I think that they could have been a little smoother in some spots. See, I'm not entirely sure a bear should walk into the room. <laughs> right. I don't think that's ever a good idea. I just, whenever I hear the song, I imagine Phil like looking at the lyrics and rolling his eyes while he's trying to sing through this. I mean... But I, is there not more uh, a quintessential Tony Banks song than right. Silver Rainbow? Well, it's no yeah. excuse, but yeah. I, I love the... I love the verse. I like the yeah. drum and guitar driving. Yeah, like you were saying, that real driving beat. Um, but when you get to the chorus, it just takes the piss out of the entire song. It sounds like I don't know. Like it's to me, rainbow. it sounds very. It sounds it's very like, Beatles-ish kind of Strawberry Fields, yeah, Lucy in the Sky. To me, it sounds like a, a riff piece of music that they had that they knew was strong. Yeah. And they were like, we got to find something to do with this, and just. They came up with this arrangement and this lyrics and said, all right, we're going to go with it. And there's enough there that I'm like, yeah, I like it. I just wish it went somewhere. They could have done think... so much more than verse, verse, chorus, verse, verse, chorus, end. Like right. they, yeah. they, that was it. They could have expanded it in at least some direction at another minute somewhere where they right. traveled in a different direction. But yeah. you're like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, okay, it needs chorus. to develop somewhere. Yeah, it doesn't, and it doesn't go just, anywhere. This actually brings me around to another question I was going to ask you guys, which is because the lack of additional material, I'm not entirely sure we're pre-Live Aid, post-Phil uh, Collins' second album. Is that right? Am I no, um, pre-live aid, post pre-live aid, yeah. but post second album? Yes. yes. I don't know if it was an active or or just an implied agreement that they would turn up and just write together as as, as a group. I think it was a pretty active decision that they said. You know, after doing Abacab, where they you know had the area where they can write together, and they each had the one solo song, and the writing together was working again. They said, okay, well, let's if if we're having these solo careers that are. You know, at that point, different levels of success. But, you know, Phil was getting successful. Mm-hmm. Keep Genesis for being Genesis. The yeah. three of them doing things together. And they've said that on Avocab, their favorite tracks were the ones they wrote together. So right. that's really what helped yeah. them this brings, decide. And, yeah, the yeah. reason why I make mention of this is that I, I know, obviously, there was a vetting process. Obviously, mm-hmm. all three of them had to say, this is a go. And I, I'm, right. I'm addressing the point that Tom said about the first, first chorus, mm-hmm. first, yeah. first chorus. I totally agree that I think that that maybe this song could be developed. But I came to the table post-1970s like all of the rest of us. And I think it just comes down to the fact that this song, out of all of the tracks on the album, reminds me most of the 70s uh, Genesis just for, you know, through the land that lies beyond the silver rainbow. Right. And the moment that Mike Rutherford runs his finger from low note up to octave, mm. that was as close as I was going to get on this album to the 70s. Right. And, and even the, the through the land that lies, it's like on Broadway. Yeah. It's like that's, it's, the melody there just is, is so signaling to me that it's hearkening back to that. Yeah. That it feels, you're right, I think that that does feel like a, a bit of a throwback. And... And I think, like, I wish that there had just been a bit more put into that track. I totally agree That would have, you you know, not made it a copy of the 70s or anything, but just made it more of a modern version of that, of what Mm. it is. And more of a complete version of it. Because it just, it's great, but it just doesn't have enough to it. Yeah, I agree. But I also, if I remember correctly, it's one of the songs which I think Tony Banks was quite proud of. of He wrote the lyrics to, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I think there was something that I saw in an interview, I read somewhere, that Phil wanted Mike and Tony to each sing one song on the album. What? 
Yeah. Uh, I didn't know what? that. You're, you're no. talking smack. No, no. <laughs> Phil, what are you talking about? Because Whitney? Phil wanted, again, I think, to kind of give them some exposures as vocalists. And I think that Tony would have sung Silver Rainbow and Mike probably would have done Taking It All Too Hard, mm-hmm. songs that I think that they each wrote the lyrics for. But I think both Tony and Mike were like, no, no. <laughs> this is you, you're the bit, you're the you're the singer say, in this it's, band. It's a bit so. hard, sort of like you know. Sort of, I know it sounds terrible because both of them are incredible songwriters in their own right, right. and it's very magnanimous of, mm-hmm. of Phil to, to sort of say that right. because he does want the band to be a band, right? But he's Phil Collins, right? How relieved was he when they said no? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, because that's also that's also the thing about you know bands have certainly had multiple singers. The Beatles, you know, yeah. go back to that, and, and it certainly worked. But Genesis was not really known for that. Even when Gabriel was singing, Phil would sing a song here and there. Mm. You know, more more fool me, four absent friends, you know, co lead vocals on certain things. But, you know, even then it wasn't like Phil was singing every other song. It was, you know, that was Peter was the vocalist, then Phil was the vocalist. Mm. And you know, I but I can picture Tony singing Silver Rainbow very easily in my head. See, I always associate this album with the first three tracks and never right. with the last. Well, side. that's the thing. People, for, people, the first out, the first side, again, take, that's all. Notwithstanding, is very strong. You got Mama, that's all, and the Home by the Sea, second Home by the Sea, very strong set of music. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the second side, which again, if Illegal Alien doesn't do it for you, you're probably gonna kind of tune <laughs> out for the rest of the, right. the rest of the it's time. A weak um, it's not weak. It's great, right. but. And those tracks weren't played live either, except for Illegal yeah. Alien and uh, It's Gonna Get Better. You know, it just wasn't... Mm-hmm. Those songs, I'm amazed that Just Job To Do was not played live. Right. When we saw Daryl Sturmer play with his Genesis, you know, tribute band, mm-hmm. he op- he didn't open with Just a Job. Did he open with Just a Job To Do? I don't he pl- think he pl- so. If it wasn't opening, he played it very early in the set. Really? And it was like, yeah, this song works live. Mm-hmm. Did he add horns? He did not add horns. <laughs> uh, still was a keyboard sound. But, but you know, but that's, it's, Tony talked about this in chapter and verse, that there were songs, that, for whatever reason, both from the 70s and the 80s, that they just never played live, and that maybe they should have. I wonder, I've, I don't even know if they rehearsed up these songs and then decided not to play them. Mm. So I'd be curious to know a bit more about well, that. Well, when you consider that they played basically everything from side one, Mm-hmm. And was yeah. it two tracks from side two? Correct, the illegal alien, and it's done a bit better. Yeah. So, so I mean, it. that's a that's over half the album, right? Mm-hmm. They did a good shot with that, but yeah, it would have been nice to mix it up a bit. Mm. But I said that you could imagine Mike singing. It's I think Mike Silver would have Rainbow. been no, no. Tony would have sung Silver Rainbow. So they that and... live. Imagine Tony singing live. Yeah, sure. Can you see that? No, I don't want to imagine that. that. I, I never want to imagine that. Tony Banks, if you're listening, I like your voice. I would have. Enjoyed hearing you singing that. But uh, all right, moving on to It's Gonna Get Better.
is an awesome track as far as I'm concerned. I, I have an awful lot of time. And the reason why I have a lot of time for this is um, it was just that bass line is just amazing. Bum, bum. Yeah, it's great. And, and I think it's, it's one of these ones where the bass line is in odd time, but the drums aren't. Almost the exact opposite in some ways of Keep It Dark. Right. In the fact that the drums have a very strange accent, whereas the guitar is just sort of a lot rock solid. Right. And I thought that was a really clever thing to do. And right. it's a it's got a great lilt to it. Mm. And it's got a really good lyric, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think it has that cool kind of opening with the keyboards, you know, reverse sounding sample, whatever it is, some orchestral thing, I think Tony has said. Mm. It's a song that tells a story, not a real detailed story in any way, but you really feel like there's real emotion in there and there's real, you know, stakes being talked about here. So. And the lyrics, as you say, there's some hope. And I think in any other melody that these lyrics were put to reach out, hands in the air, it could be seen as cheesy and schmaltzy. But the way that it was mixed together with the music they did with that weird kind of keyboard intro, mm -hmm. then you have that bass line starting and then that sustained chord that kind of builds louder and louder to the reach out. It, it, it's not schmaltzy. It's not cheesy. Kind of gives you. It's like a hope song. Right. Because at the end, it's going to get better. Yeah. And it, it, and it, it starts just, with a feeling. It starts with a feeling. Mm -hmm. And it's one of I think as a three piece is probably one of their best songs. And I think have you guys heard the longer version of this with Yet's Traverse in there? Uh, it's the twelve inch uh, release of Mama. Yes. Both Mama and it's going to get better. Have extra verses, mm -hmm. aren't they? Uh, Mama's is stretched out a bit more at the end. I oh, think. is it I don't really? think there's okay. a verse in there. It's, it's been more a while since I've listened to it. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit longer towards the end. More Phil screaming. Which is good. It's fine. It, yeah. But I think I can see why they cut that down a little bit. It's not going to get better unless there was an issue with the timing of LP sides. You know, mm -hmm. it's too bad they cut out the extra version. Yeah, I don't know why they I, they played it live yeah. in the regular, the real version. Right. <laughs> I guess I think they just, in case of the LP side timing, yeah. they just had to use the shorter version. They cut out a verse, which is right. a shame because it makes a good song even better yeah i think it's a great song um i think this is the best example of the electric and the acoustic drums blending oh. together on the track in the entire album like it's very seamless i love it it's a it's a gives it a good like feel and a groove um, do you think it's a good ending to the album oh yeah definitely ending. i do um Unfortunately, this song was played constantly in the supermarket where I used to shop when I lived in New Jersey. And so it's kind of, I always call it the supermarket song. It's going to get better. You're going to go down to the candy aisle. And yeah, so it's kind of a little bittersweet for me on a personal way. But yeah, it's a great track. Um, as Tom said, it's a great showcase of all three of them and really showing their strengths. Vocals, bass, the arrangement, the drums, everything. It just reach, it reaches a, a pinnacle at the very end when they're, it starts with a feeling that whole area yeah. with, with the piano uh, <laughs> there's piano <laughs> yeah, there's, there's piano at this part it's time for change like that build up and like mm -hmm. the light show that they did at this particular point in the song it's just like it builds up and builds up and you ride the wave and it kind of ends out and you know one of our uh, listeners John H wrote in a bit about Genesis in general, but talked about that the last two tracks on this album are very underrated. Side one plus those, these two, Silver mm -hmm. Rainbow and, mm -hmm. and this one, all great material. Uh, that the other three let the album down. So that's an opinion, you know, not uncommon, I think, amongst Genesis fans that the side one is strong, side two not as strong. Mm -hmm. But I think Mike Rutherford refers this, to this as, as his favorite Genesis album. 
the first side at least I know, but I know he talks about the second side also not being as strong. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure. You know, probably every couple of years they come up with a different. They, they each kind of talk about different albums being their favorite at different times. Uh-huh. Um, Tony's fairly consistent, but I think that Mike and maybe Phil, you know, changes around depending upon where where they're at with things. Well, it's normal. My favorite yeah. album changes all exactly. the time. Well, so. the other thing I was going to say with regards to the dearth, if you will, of material right. on this album is that um, there was one spare track, or at least a, a snippet of a spare track, which apparently was something I think Mike Rutherford brought to the table, which eventually became uh, Call to Arms on uh, on the first Mike and Mechanics album. My understanding is that was actually from the Abacab Sessions. Oh, really? Uh, that yeah, was yeah, from the Abacab Sessions? Because that was talked about on... Again, I'll nerd out here. When I taped <laughs> off the radio, uh, yeah. Phil and Tony on Rockline in October of 1986 that I taped off the radio, somebody talked about, hey, how did you guys get writing credit on this? And they both thought it was a snippet left over from Abacab. Right. Okay. Uh, now, whether it was from Abacab or, or this album, again, you know, I, I've never seen another specific reference to exactly where it was from but they both at the time mm-hmm. thought it was from Abacab and they actually joked that um, I think uh, Phil like I think that it might called Tony and Phil was like oh Mike didn't call me about it and he's like I would have told him I was using it <laughs> so that's uh, you know just kind of the, the joking around about things with that so I think we've come to the end of the album so we're going to do Tom's Big Pole now Tom shows you his pole I know you guys have been waiting all episode to see my poll or hear about my poll. And uh, my poll has been waiting anxiously. Should we, should oh, we we'll say, what our say what our favorites were? Yes. Yes. Or did we say that already? Yeah, well, let's let's recap. Okay, yeah. recap. we'll recap. All right, well, mine's just a job to do. Uh, home by the Sea, Second Home by the Sea. Mine's Second Home by the Sea. It's going to get better. The Home by the Sea, Second Home by the Sea. And I'd have to say that you all agreed with most of us here at the tabletop. <laughs> and uh, it was kind of split. Second Home by the Sea got the most votes. I think some people who voted for the first Home by the Sea were kind of thinking it as one song. Sure. So that got the most votes. After that, it was a three-way tie between Mama, Silver Rainbow, and It's Gonna Get Better. Really? That's uh, interesting. Uh, then after that, it was a three-way tie between That's All taking it all too hard and just a job to do and coming in last place with zero votes <laughs> <laughs> coming in last place with zero votes was Zero <laughs> Goleli <laughs> Italian. No, that was Italian. That's a yeah. hey, there, there's probably illegal Italian aliens. That's right. a great Japanese accent. Can <laughs> we all end this episode doing our horrible accents? Yeah. We want to do? No, no. This Let's... is one, one thing. I wanted to make an effort. Can, <laughs> I, can I just make mention? Just that sure. this is a um, out of all of the albums they've done. I think this is a particularly dark album. Yes. Sure. Go on. Uh, oh, the reason why I make mention of this is that it's a very stark album. You look at the packaging, <laughs> although it's like, it, it's yellow, but it's black and yellow. Right. And it, it, it always, I don't know why, but this album feels to my ears, whereas Abacab was a very wet, reverberating mm-hmm. album. Mm-hmm. This is, even with tracks like Mama, this is quite a dry, claustrophobic yes. album right. to my ears. Mm-hmm. Sure. Can we? I agree. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the album cover. Can we all agree that this is the worst album cover? Thank of Genesis? you. I was just about to say that. <laughs> I don't know if it's my. I, like it. I don't know uh, if it's the. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if it's the worst. I think Sorry. they have worse ones. It's. it's I, I think it's worse ones as well. It's, it's, it's up there. There, there was a a game in the eighties that 
I had as a kid called Perfection. Yes, yes it was Perfection. Perfection. All the pieces were yep. different colored shape, yellow colored shapes, trapezoid, zombies, rhombuses, zombies. <laughs> there were zombies in there, stars, yeah. circles, trapezoids, whatever. Leprechauns. And you had to put them in the, the, the puzzle piece before it popped up all over the place. Right. And this looks like yes, after are, you lost, mm-hmm. these were the puzzle pieces. Right. That game scared the shit out of me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that got your heart rate going. Yeah. But this one is And kind I, of I get the black and yellow kind of very stark yes. and dark, but it just seems like someone was grasping for straws yeah. at this point. And says, I don't oh, like the Curse of Logo. My, you know, my kid, yeah, the Curse of Logo ugh, just didn't, didn't work for me. Well, I think, you know, just thinking about the album as a whole i think this is one of their best musically but worse lyrically as a whole genesis i don't think compared to other bands that i listen to and like mm-hmm. they have the best lyrics ever anyway i don't know, I don't know if I'd, I'd agree with you when it comes to like home by the sea and second home by the sea i no, think that's a good lyric i like those mm-hmm. lyrics even tony's lyrics on that okay album. i i mean no i think they're certainly not, good. i i see what stacy's saying sit down for like eight times in a row so <laughs> i <laughs> you know i i just <laughs> the guy's um, not sitting down i know I, I, yeah lyrically i think this is one of the, the weakest lyrics but musically like i said the, the fact that they all came together with nothing written and mm-hmm. they produced this right that really speaks to the talent that they have and yeah yeah, and like I said, you know, this this album's so close to my heart. Um, I never get tired of it. And I think I will say the remix from two thousand seven. I think thickened out the sound a little bit yes, more. Yes, that was something else I wanted to say because when I had this cassette, <laughs> um, and then previous like CD, ver- like I I got yeah. the cassette and then I got a CD player right. and then even the remasters from like the late nineties. Yeah. I had to turn it all the way up just to hear it. Right. This album, I don't know if it was mixed in doubly or whatever. <laughs> it was like you could not hear it. Um, but it wasn't until the 5.1. I was right. like, okay, here it is. Right. And this yeah, is how I want to listen really, to this album. Fills really it out great. more. Yeah. It yeah. gave it more of a field, you know, stereo field for me and broadened out the sound and, and made it sound a little less tinny and a little exactly. less a little yeah. less claustrophobic, which, right. you know, Simon was saying before that maybe that's kind of what it was going for this very mm-hmm. dry sound, which it didn't make it as dry, but it didn't change the character of the album either. I right. thought, again, 5.1 mix did exactly what it was supposed to do for these things. So thumbs up to Nick Davis for doing Yeah, those. definitely. I, maybe you guys got a different copy, but it's still the one album, <laughs> I, even on the remixes, that I have to turn up louder than every other remix that I have mm-hmm. when I, I play mean, it. yeah, it's still, it's still yeah. very kind of low. low. Yeah. Where like I put everything else at a ten, I got to put this up to like a thirteen or fourteen just to have it <laughs> cool. at the same level. So cool. Well, thanks again for listening, everybody. It's been fantastic to talk about Genesis Mama Shapes with you all. The piano it, album. The piano album, <laughs> as, as Tom calls it. We will be back again with whatever album we decide to talk about next. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Genesis Tabletop. You can find us on Facebook under Tabletop Genesis. You can find us on the web at tabletopgenesis.com. And you can write an old-fashioned email to us at genesistabletop at gmail.com. And so we're all over the place. Who knows? We may have Instagram by the time you uh, next find us. You can even find us on Tinder, maybe. Uh, so if you want to date the whole group, you know where to find us. So we'll be back next time with more detailed commentary on some Genesis album. And have a great time. Enjoy the rest of your day, week, month, year. Thanks very much. In what we take.